I seek refuge with the love of Satan, the curse, in the name of Allah, the peace, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show, The Voice of Islam, with Imam uh, Jaliz Khan and myself. The time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 26th of January, 2024. Um, as always, we have a very packed program this morning on The Breakfast Show. Uh, it is an interactive broadcast. It means our uh, listeners have the opportunity to ring in if they wish to and share your uh, thoughts with us. So uh, do pick up the phone if you uh, feel a need to express your uh, opinions. Uh, 0208-687-7878 is the number. Or you can use a more modern method uh, by posting your comment on uh, uh, what used to be Twitter, but now is X. Uh, the handle is Voice of Islam UK. Uh, in a few minutes' time, uh, with Denise Khan, we'll be... Uh, giving you the rundown of the weather and looking at some of the news stories that are circulating in uh, the uh, Muslim community in particular first and then in the wider media as well. Now those familiar with the show would know that uh, we uh, do uh, focus in, hone in on two, sometimes three stories uh, uh, to dwell on. Uh, Today we'll be looking at... uh, well, it's, uh, the first story is uh, regarding uh, the Holocaust. It is Holocaust Remembrance Day tomorrow. So we'll be considering the topic Holocaust, understanding historical pain and condemning injustice. And we'll be considering this particular topic with uh, a number of experts. Melissa uh, Raphael, we hope, will be joining us. She teaches rabbis at the Leo Bake uh, College and is Professor Emeritus at the University of Gloucestershire. We also expect to speak to Emiliano Perra uh, on this particular topic. Emiliano is uh, a senior lecturer in modern European history at the University of Winchester, and his research work focuses on the memory and representation of the Holocaust and genocide. Um, He has also authored several books on the issue. And earlier we uh, spoke to David Tollerton, uh, David is a professor in memory studies at the University of Exeter and we'll be sharing what uh, he had to say in that part of the program. So if you're interested in that particular topic, then do make a point of uh, remaining tuned in uh, between 7.30, maybe 7.20, we may start that earlier, 7.20 and 8.20 when we'll be broaching that particular topic. For our second uh, subject, we'll be reviewing the um, issue of, uh, concerning the environment and uh, the topic title reads, Understanding the Impact of Your Carbon Footprint. Uh, it's obviously about the environment and uh, our responsibility. Uh, we'll be discussing this with um, Mr. Akram Ahmadi, chairman of the charity International Association of Ahmadi Architects and Engineers, IAAAE for short. Uh, there may be one or two clips that we'll also be able to share. Uh, but other than that, I hope uh, you can discern that uh, we have a very busy show. So let's uh, move on now and look at uh, the weather news about the Ahmadi Muslim community with Imam Jalees Khan. So don't go away. Asalaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, how are you doing, uh, Brother Valid? Uh, yes, I'm doing fine. Thank you. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a very uh, um, horrible past few days, wouldn't you say so? Uh, with the wind, high winds everywhere. Mm. Uh, we had uh, 
Storm Isha. Uh, coming is Storm Jalees now? Storm Jalees now, as you're aware. Or is it something? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, instead of Jocelyn, we can have uh, mm. Storm Jalees uh, mm-hmm. for today. Um, but yeah, I had uh, we, we had horrible a few days uh, mm. of um, the very windy weather um, if I go quickly towards um, the forecast uh, mm-hmm. today we'll see extensive cloud in England and Wales but bright spells in Northern Ireland and Scotland turning overcast and breezy with the odd shower in northern uh, northwestern Scotland in the afternoon as for tonight uh, a band of rain will move into northern Scotland but turn weaker as it reaches southern Scotland and Northern Ireland Mostly cloudy and dry elsewhere, but clear spells in northeast England. A variable cloud tomorrow, uh, which is Saturday, but brighter in southern Scotland and northeast England. Dry for most, but a few showers in northern Scotland and in the morning, northern Ireland and northwest England. And if we go towards Sunday to Tuesday, partly cloudy and colder on Sunday as a northerly flow develops. Scattered showers mainly along eastern coasts and to the north, with snow in Scotland. Snow showers to the north on Monday and dry and bright on to the south. Brisk north westerly winds, patchy cloud and snow showers in the north on Tuesday and it's clouding over in the north with spells of rain. Um, as you're aware, we had uh, uh, Stormy Shah and uh, causing a lot of disruptions. A few people even passed away. Mm-hmm. Um Unfortunately, Did he passed away? Yes, passed really? away. Yes, a very old man in Scotland actually passed away. Mm. Um, so yes, um, I would also believe the death toll, the last time I checked, I think it was two or three at least. Oh dear. So oh. Um, prayers and thoughts go out to those families and I think we should all be keeping safe. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, Scotland always seems to get the worst of the weather, doesn't yeah, it? It does, it, yeah. does, it does. Snow, rain. It does. From what you mentioned, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, good. Good, you move south, isn't it? Oh, further north, north. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, face, I'll, I'll face heavy winds. I don't mind. It's okay. <laughs> Did you live in Glasgow or Edinburgh? I lived in Edinburgh. Okay. I lived in Edinburgh. Well, okay. um, I can't even say Edinburgh. I lived in Fife, which is across like, across the bridge. Um, I think just for the sake of uh, saving time, I usually say I live close to Edinburgh, and then mm-hmm. conversation usually mm-hmm. ends over there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's said to be a, a, a more pleasant place than Glasgow. It is, it is, definitely Okay, it is. so that's not, not just rumour. It yeah. is, it's oh. not, it's not. Um, I think Glasgow, for those people who live in London, I think they prefer Glasgow because it's more... Um, uh, more cosmopolitan ball. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, commercial. Yeah. But Edinburgh, when you walk through the high street and uh, just go mm-hmm. just walking about exploring, it's like a fairy tale. Oh, so, um, okay. yeah, amazing. Yes, I haven't visited for a long time. I, I highly think. recommend okay. Brother Valide mm. that you need to go. Yep. I, think, uh, I, th- I think I need to take you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's what, 500 miles away? Um, 450, 500, yeah, we can. Okay, all right. Not too bad. No. So, any um, uh, activities, anything going on? Yes, yes, mm. absolutely. Um, this is actually relating to the weather, um, as, and, and, and that's that um, our youth association, uh, we sent out a lot of... Um, uh, messages on social media saying that if anyone needs any help, any assistance during this time, because obviously it's difficult for those people who are frail and vulnerable, we would come out and assist them. And this is exactly what we did. Um, we sent out uh, messages and a lot of people 
came across and um, whatever they needed, we were there for them. So what, they contacted you by phone? or? Yes, yeah, so it, it, it was over social mm. media. Um, mm-hmm. There's an app called Nextdoor um, mm-hmm. where uh, your neighbourhood in your vicinity, those, those those people who live in your vicinity, they can contact you and they can they, they can let you know if they need any assistance or not. Uh-huh. And uh, this 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 was amazing. Um, so th- this is what people did all the way up to Northern Ireland. People did this all the way in Northern Ireland, including Scotland, including Scotland as mm. well. Um, mm. Yes, absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that um, our our youth are very uh, very very busy in these in in, in these right. times and in, they're very proactive. So it's very very good to see this. Well, that's good to hear. Um, good to yeah, hear. Yeah. Uh, right. uh, anything else? Um, we have um, we have these things uh, called um, uh, this more or less youth gatherings, where the youth of each local area they come together, and uh, it's it's to increase brotherhood and spirituality. Um, <laughs> in in they're referred to as ishtamas, which literally translates to a gathering, mm. um, and this is a spiritual gathering, and uh, this is a chance for uh, all the brothers to come together have a bit of food, catch up, and they have different workshops as well, mm. uh, speaking about different matters. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, we also have our sports session during this time. It can get very competitive, uh, but we have array, an array of uh, sports mm-hmm. that the, the, the youth um, also participate in. And uh, this is not just limited to the youth. I also mm-hmm. believe the the elder society, the elder community, they mm-hmm. also have um, uh, an, uh, a social gathering like this as well. Yeah. And uh, yes, it can because it, it, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. So you had these gatherings for the youth, what, uh, this last few weeks? Yes, so the past uh-huh. few weeks, actually just running after mm-hmm. um, probably mid-January up till now. A lot of um, communities have had this, a lot of areas. Is it outside this. or indoor? This is, uh, this is indoor, this is indoor. Okay. Um, it's, uh, you, do you take part? Uh, I do, actually our one is, uh, is on mm-hmm. the 18th. Uh, okay. So I, I, I live in uh, Bromley-Lewisham area, so our right. one is... Uh, on the 18th. And what kind of sports do you so engage in? We are... I know you're not a football fan. I love football. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you don't support a team or anything. You don't follow it. Um, I, I, I really like Arsenal. Okay. I really like Arsenal. Um, okay, we all have a false take. <laughs> <laughs> It's Arsenal. okay. I'll let, I'll, I'll let that part. My, my, no, my my yeah. my nephew uh, is a very avid uh, Arsenal supporter. Arsenal are looking good this season. Mm. Very good. Mm. Um, high hopes. Five 0 victory against Crystal Palace is. Uh, I think to sneeze well, that out. was a depleted team. Uh, it might, it might have been, but five 0 nonetheless. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll mm. take it. We'll take what we can get. It's, 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 no, no, yeah. no. I, I, I don't uh, disagree with you. It is a very uh, formidable team at the moment. Um, I, I think. I, I think you support Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one team I, I uh, passionately dislike. Um, but I think that uh, well, uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think Man City are, are in a class of their own. Yes, that's that's true. And I think um, um, then Liverpool and Arsenal. I think it's between them two after definitely, that. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, but uh, yes, okay. Uh, Arsenal's not a bad team. And yeah. what's happening? Do you know what matches are taking place on Saturday? I really asked my my sons. Yeah. But I didn't ask them. I'm not aware about this Saturday. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are League Cup matches this Saturday. Um, okay. Uh, I think uh, yeah, the League Cup matches leading up to the final. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's between Liverpool and Chelsea. I Chelsea, think they've, yeah. they've taken yeah. place. That's going to be exciting. Okay. One. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be good. Let's see yeah. how that happens. Definitely. Okay. Um, right, we've still got one or two. Well, not one or two. A few minutes. Um, um, there's a few stories that we can do. Well, one of the stories that. Uh, 
cropped up in yesterday's Times was about our military talking about how to build a force of up to half a million people and the need to do so. And this would include civilians to defend the UK in the event of a full-scale war with um, other countries. I think Russia is uh, in their sights in this respect. And this call uh, from the head of the British Army, General Patrick, uh, Sir Patrick Saunders, uh, is not alone. Uh, apparently, Admiral Rob Bauer, uh, who heads the military committee, also said something very similar, and he said that the public needed to change their mindset for an era when uh, anything can happen at any time. And this drumbeat of a major war was echoed previously by the Defence Secretary, Graham Chaps. Uh, or Shaps, who said that the country was moving from a post-war to a pre-war world. And uh, so that's, that was quite ominous. Yeah. General Saunders said that it was necessary to train to civilians to form a new citizen army in case it was needed. And he said that within three years, we should have a larger army of 120,000. But he conceded uh, that this would not be enough to win a war and that's why it was necessary to take steps to ensure that the public was on a war footing when needed. So I think that's how we'll be achieving uh, the five half a million people uh, that um, they were talking about earlier. Uh, there are no plans for conscri- conscription, and the MOD would rely on volunteers. Although this has come a bit of a surprise for many people, it should not go unnoticed yeah. that the head of the Amdims community has been uh, warning the world for years now yeah about an impending major conflict on the horizon and his um, uh, numerous discourses um, um, at peace conferences and also during yes. um, um, the um, his Friday sermons he's been urging people, uh, urging the world, world leaders especially, to, um, to conduct themselves with justice and fairness because that is what is uh, leading us uh, into what seems to be a chasm uh, but uh, it appears that much of his wise counsel has been unheeded. I mean, if you look at the main conflicts that currently exist in the world, Ukraine and Palestine, yeah. it would not be difficult to conclude that both these uh, could easily be resolved if nations acted with justice and equanimity. The fact that these requirements are not being met threatens to engulf the whole world into a major catastrophe uh, and a, a catastrophic war, mm. which will... Um, a cost humanity dearly, so it's, uh, it's very un- unfortunate. Concerning times. Mm. Yes, it's concerning, concerning times. One, well, still got a few minutes. Um, one other story I think that caught my eye was about uh, the rich being less charitable. Now, this was an interesting report, uh, again, uh, in the Times. Uh, it says that um, even when the wealthiest 10% of the country find their income increasing, they are less generous than those in the lowest 10%, uh, less well-off. So the research was conducted by a think tank called Onward, and it stated that the amounts raised from top earners' income have fallen by 20% in real terms over the past uh, seven years. If donations from the rich had kept pace with those from the least well-off charities, would be receiving almost £3.4 billion more a year than they do. So they've written a letter to the uh, Times, and the group says that now is the moment to revitalize philanthropy. 
When the wealthiest give back, they bring their networks and expertise, the love for the places they grew up up, up in, and passion for the uh, causes that have touched their lives. Uh, it is said that half of all donations from the highest earning households came from less than 5% of the group, and the bottom 70% of the group contributed less than 10% of all donations. Onward added that giving uh, was heavily blasted towards London. Uh, Shivat Menon, a senior researcher at Onward, said that uh, the affluent should hold up the end of the charitable bargain that expects those with the most to give generosity uh, to the least. Uh, so charity, this is why it caught my eye, is because charity is something that's very important in Islam. Definitely. And uh, when the Holy Prophet uh, entered Medina uh, after the migration mm. and gave his uh, one of his earliest um, addresses, and he drew the attention of uh, the listeners to three uh, three things. I think the first one was about uh, reciting the Holy Quran. Mm-hmm. The second one was about the remembrance of God, and the third was uh, of charity. And he said mm-hmm. that uh, even if you can give a small bit of charity, and he used the phrase that is, or used the term that is, uh, that describes the sliver that divides the stone of a date from the flesh of a date. Mm. He said even if you can give that yeah. in charity, then then give it because charity shields you from the fire. Yeah. So it is a, it is a. So giving charity is something that is uh, is very important in Islam, and um, that's why I think that uh, it would do well if uh, if uh, everyone, not just the the rich, uh, also are able to um, give um, in charity. When it comes for the wealthy to give in charity, this is certainly encouraged, but not at the expense of near relations. And here, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said, the best charity is that which is practiced by a wealthy person and they should start by giving first to their dependents. Yeah. And the Holy Prophet also said the upper hand is better than the lower hand, so the, the one who gives is is, yeah. is better. And uh, one final point on this is that we should not forget that when it comes to giving, giving in charity, for Muslims at least, it is, is done to earn the pleasure of God. And this is not governed by the quantum of what is given, but the sacrifice that it entails. For instance... Yeah. The Holy Prophet once said, uh, and this is quite uh, an interesting uh, saying, he said that one silver coin is a head or is better than 100,000 others. And the uh, companion said and asked, how is that possible? He said, and the Prophet replied, a man who has only two coins and he takes one and gives it to charity and another man has abundant wealth and he takes... 100,000 coins for as a small portion of the abundant wealth he, he has mm-hmm. is less than what uh, the one with the two coins who gave half of it in charity uh, is able to achieve. So that's also something that is worthy of note. Anyway, uh, any other news that you found interesting uh, that you want yes. to share? Mm-hmm. I uh, th- this is again this is relating to the storm stormy Shah and uh, I found it really interesting and uh, surprising as well and that was that certain planes that were landing um, in London and Edinburgh they had to be 
detoured to Cologne, uh, Cologne in, in Germany and Paris. So uh, these hundreds of miles away. Yes, because uh-huh. because the the, the the airports they felt it was unsafe to um, have safe landing, um, secure landing. So Scotland doesn't have a safe airport. Uh, apparently, neither does London. <laughs> oh, neither. <laughs> so what um, do we say? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it was it was really unfortunate, and I was thinking, I was thinking, if uh, I was on the plane, free trip to Paris is not it doesn't sound that bad. But yeah, uh, certain individuals, because it was domestic flights, mm-hmm. um, they didn't. So I think it was Belfast to, uh, to for example, Edinburgh, or Belfast to London, and because uh, it was a domestic flight, they don't really need to take passports with them. Mm-hmm. So some of them didn't take passports. So when they landed in Paris or Cologne, respectively, they didn't have uh, passports to go and explore and whatnot and come back. So they had to sleep in the terminal and stay in the terminal. So it was very unfortunate for them. Okay, so they didn't. They, they were, couldn't go out. Yeah, they couldn't uh, take advantage of the the, the free trip to okay. Paris or. Okay, go to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't think that would be a bad, bad experience if you had your passport though. Mm. If you, uh, I wouldn't mind personally. I don't know. Um, but yes. I remember uh, once when I was traveling, uh, the. Um, there was a problem with the flight, hmm. a problem with the plane, and so we were uh, we were accommodated in hotels. Yes, yeah, and that was quite nice. So they were cons- uh, compensated through hotels. Yeah, but it made that we, it meant that we lost two days of the of the holiday. Oh, you know, right? but then uh, we were comfortable. That's all right. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we complain hmm? about that. The Radisson Hotel. I know other hotels are available. I'm sure. Yeah. But that's the, that's uh, that's what I remember, okay. and I don't travel very often, so that's one experience <laughs> that uh, that I had. Um, uh, uh, but uh, then uh, uh, that's different to uh, what you were saying about um, <laughs> flights being diverted. Com- I'm surprised. Uh, completely. Okay, and that's because it's not just because unsafe hotels; it's unsafe weather. Yes, because that, of the weather. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah because of the yeah, weather. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. All right. Um, I think uh, we can move on uh, uh, and look at uh, the first of our main stories to do with um, the uh, Holocaust and uh, understanding historical pain and condemning injustice. Um, so this is when uh, <laughs> you have to do a bit of talking, uh, um, Imam Angelis. Um, well, the segment will discuss and condemn both, well, we hope that we'll both the historical suffering of the Jews in the Holocaust. Mm. And uh, uh, the attacks that, uh, that that they suffered um, on in October uh, and other attacks, emphasizing that these events, uh, well, find no support, support in uh, any part of Islam. And this was made clear, I remember, um, by His Holiness, uh, who uh, outlined uh, when condemning um, the... Uh, the killing of uh, innocent uh, civilians, yeah. women and children, uh, soon after the that particular atrocity took place. Um, but we also need to express empathy for the victims, yeah. uh, unequivocally um, denouncing such acts, irrespective of uh, who they are. Um, um, and our focus um, will be to carefully examine um, um, well, it will be the examination of the Holocaust use as a justification for contemporary conflicts, especially in Gaza. So that's uh, the, um, 
how the uh, la- the uh, what is it the field lies. Mm. Um, now, where do we start? I mean, one thing that uh, we were told when the after, soon after the events of seventh of October. Mm. Uh, by the Secretary General is that uh, those events did not happen in a vacuum. That's not when uh, atrocities started, uh, that there have been injustices meted out uh, on the other side. Mm. And this was a reaction to it, and that has to be understood. Um, Mm. Now... So, anything uh, you want to add? Of course, of course. As I, th- I think it's worth mentioning the fact that you said, or that you mentioned earlier on, that tomorrow uh, marks uh, Holocaust Memorial Day. And uh, this, this takes place every single year on the 27th of January. And this is very important because it's a time to remember the millions of people murdered during the Holocaust, whether it's under the Nazi persecution and in the genocides which followed in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia and Darfur. And it's, it's, it's worth mentioning that uh, it's worth mentioning that the Holocaust Memorial Day serves as a crucial occasion to reflect on the lessons of history and acknowledge that genocide is a gradual process fueled by unchecked discrimination, racism and hatred. And while us in the UK, we, we don't really face any imminent risk of any genocide or anything like this uh, happening here, the persistence of discrimination and the use of uh, divisive language highlight the ongoing challenges. And uh, this day emphasises that the need to actively work towards a safer future. And this makes Holocaust Memorial Day very, very important, just to remember and learn from the past. And just hope that keeping uh, keeping, um, the memory of these atrocities alive, our humanity will strive to prevent such horrors from happening ever again. And this is one of the specific objectives of this commemoration, which seeks to ensure that the horrendous crimes, racism and victimisation committed during the Holocaust are neither forgotten nor repeated, whether in Europe or anywhere else in the world. Um, and indeed, few events parallel, uh, parallel, uh, parallel um, the events of the Holocaust. But I think it's worth remembering of the other genocides that also followed, uh, whether it's Cambodia or Rwanda or Bosnia Darfur. I think it's very, uh, very important to um, keep that in mind as well. Um, and especially after seeing the, or after, after witnessing the atrocities that are happening in Gaza, I think we need to really, um, as as um, as I just kind of just mentioned, this uh, kind of monologue that this keeping our um, memories in check, keep, keeping up to date with what, um, keep reminding ourselves what happened in the past, and we should not be repeating um, what, what what has happened, and uh, just making sure that um, those people or everyone in the world, we just we just we just strive mm. for a brighter and safer future. Do you think um, we're guilty of? Uh Allowing uh, that to be repeated now? I believe so. I believe so. I believe that the, after after these atrocities, the UN was, um, or the UN put in place a set of laws, and uh, these laws, if followed, it would mean that um, if, 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 if they were followed with justice and integrity, I think we would not be seeing the atrocities we are seeing right now. Mm. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, uh, not entirely anyway. Uh, but yes, this is a uh, chilling, chilling. Uh, um, yeah, it's chilling. I mean, I, wa- I was going to put this this question to one of our uh, contributors that will be coming on mm-hmm. to. But do you think that? Um, w- well, do you think that um, the lesson 
uh, on the Holocaust, one of the lessons is that uh, that uh, 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 Jews should be um, um, immune from any war crime, even a genocide it chooses to commit. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, that's what the French and German government are, say, are saying, that international law on genocide should not apply to Israel because Jews have been subjected to genocide. I think that's completely not true. Um, that's completely wrong. It's, it's, it, it, this, these are the injustices that we're seeing today that we saw in the past as well. This is, this is, this is completely incorrect. And mm. it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's a shame that... Tragically, the Holocaust was not the final large, a large-scale atrocity. When I when I mentioned the Holocaust, not the first either. Yes, because, not the first either. Uh, because um, European countries uh, had uh, a track record of genocide. Yes. The or populations of North America and South America were yeah. completely decimated. Yes. Same with Australia. Yes. Um, so no Tasmanians are left. Yeah. Uh, completely yeah, obliterated. Yeah. Um, um, that, that's bigger than than the Holocaust. And yeah, more than it's whole nations were uh, yeah. were scrapped. Yeah. Um, so, do you think there's something in the the human psyche that that uh, compels it to indulge in these kind of atrocities? Was it just the West? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah. a leading? Is that a loaded question? <laughs> That's a loaded question, right there. Okay. You you're setting me up, brother. Um, no, I think I, th- I think it's very interesting. You mentioned that um, something to think think about as well. But um, this is something that um, this is what, what what I understand. What Islam kind of presents is that um, we have uh, these phases in our um, in our self. There's three stages of self. And the last or the first stage that we have to conquer is the the soul, the, the reprieving soul. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so the, the self that incites to evil, which is all about ego and about inner self and just selfishness. Okay. And this is something that we need to perform. Um, the The term jihad um, is is used quite a lot, and jihad over here is 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 suitable over here. Jihad means to strive to to do better oneself, to to work hard. And over here, the first stage that the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, has mentioned in his uh, in his book, The Philosophy and the Teachings of Islam, which he has outlined as a self that incites to evil. And this is mentioned in the Holy Quran as well. And this is something that we need to work towards. We need to uh, make sure that we develop from the self that incites evil to the reproving self, which is someone who develops from his animalistic nature and develops into something that is a, as, as a better human being, um, works towards... Um, works towards bettering himself mm-hmm. and then afterwards the final uh, final stage that the promised messiah um, upon whom be peace is mentioned is referring to the soul at rest which is filled with spiritual pre- uh, uh, spiritual powers and a connection with god almighty mm-hmm. and this is a spiritual path elucidated by prophets in various ages aims for um, individual and societal progress and the promised Messiah also prophesied that the global, global accept, uh, acceptance of his message of reviving true Islam within 300 years would actually happen. And reflecting on the past century, the consequences of regret, rejecting Islam, uh, Islamic wisdom are evident. And it's emphasizing the urgency to heed the message of peace, to avoid catastrophic consequences and holocausts in an era of theological and scientific advancement. It doesn't really add up that we are so advanced right now and we understand what's right, what's right and wrong. Even then, uh, yet we, we we still go back to the 
self that incites oneself and mm-hmm. in, uh, incites towards evil. I think we need to kind of just take a step back and uh, remove all this ego and just kind of work towards peace and uh, work towards justice, dealing everything with justice, which is what Islam uh, teaches us. Mm. So you think, uh, so this is not something that's just applicable to, to Muslims? Yes. It's something that um, that we should all be uh, striving for and uh, if we do then uh, uh, we'll have a better future? Definitely. Okay. 100%. Well, um, we I did say that we're going to have uh, um, certain experts, and we have uh, Professor Melissa Raphael on the line. I'm pleased to note uh, Professor uh, Raphael is uh, a teaching uh, student, uh, is, a te- is a teacher, uh, teaching st- uh, student rabbis at Leo Bayek College in the areas of modern Jewish thought. And... Um, uh, she is um, also um, a lecturer, uh, I understand, a lecturer in the church and the arts at the University of Oxford. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Breakfast Show, uh, Professor. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Um, can you, I mean, how can uh, the lessons from the Holocaust, I mean, we'll be marking the Holocaust com- uh, day tomorrow, I remember say tomorrow. How can the lessons from the Holocaust be applied to promote tolerance and understanding in today's world? Well, good question. First of all, I think we've got to ask what are the lessons of the Holocaust? Yes. Oh dear, we're having trouble with the sound, uh, it's breaking up uh, what you were saying, is, uh, I hope uh, it's not on our side, is it something that uh, is uh, at your end? Um, I can certainly hear you clearly uh, mm. from where I am. Uh-huh. But I can only hear bits of the conversation, uh, oh. your conversation. Right. Well, perhaps your in your research would like to ring me back on WhatsApp, okay. on the same number, and come back to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we'll we'll tell uh, we'll tell our technician to do that. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. So speak much. to you in a few minutes. Yes. Seconds, I hope. Right. Um, now let me just uh, while we're waiting, uh, do justice to uh, uh, who. Uh, Melissa Raphael is, as well as teaching student rabbis at Leo Bayek College in the areas of modern Jewish thought and Jewish responses to evil and suffering. Melissa is Professor Emeritus uh, at uh, the University of Gloucestershire. Uh, She has been the uh, Sherman Lecturer in Jewish Studies at the University of Manchester, the Hussey Lecturer in the Church and the Arts at the University of Oxford, and the British government's Foreign Office Delegate to the International Task Force on Holocaust Remembrance and Research. Uh, Professor Raphael was invited to speak at the 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP28, on a recent contribution to Jewish uh, eco-theology and is also uh, an occasional columnist for the Jewish uh, Jewish Chronicle. So I don't know whether we've got uh, uh, the professor back. Um, 
but um, I hope that we will be able to um, tie her in again. Uh, but while we wait, I'm afraid that I'll have to uh, grill uh, some Brother Delis <laughs> for, for some, some of his Absolutely. views on this. Um, um, I actually wanted to ask you, Brother Valid, um, yeah. were you, were you um, obviously, um, well, when the atrocities were happening elsewhere, like, for example, Rwanda and even Bosnia, um, what was your, like, your kind of overview of like, what was happening around about that time? What was like, the situation with the media and everything? Well, in those days, I mean, with, with Rwanda and also certainly with Bosnia, um, we were uh, very much aware uh, of what was going on and we were very alarmed at what was going on. And um, there wasn't any social media, so we very much relied on the conventional media, which is not uh, always uh, balanced as we've uh, mm-hmm. learned uh, so well um, these these days. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, when these uh, atrocities were taking place in Bosnia, then mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was a young man. Okay? Yes, I, I, believe, I, I believe you. you <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> right. yeah. And uh, I remember um, uh, one of the initiatives that we, we undertook was to try and um, help the victims, whoever they were, mm-hmm. uh, of the conflict there. And uh, we started taking... Um, provisions mm-hmm. uh, from them, mm-hmm. uh, for them, uh, from here. Uh, and uh, it was a consequence of that. Yeah. That uh, Not consequence, but it was an offshoot of that particular initiative that led to the establishment of Humanity First. Yeah. That's where it was actually, yeah. uh, that was how it was actually born. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of uh, convoys that we were able to take, sometimes in very hostile uh, um, circumstances mm-hmm. um, and um, it was all that we could do at the time uh, in order to react to what was going on mm. um, the suffering obviously of anybody uh, mm. especially on the scale that uh, the atrocities were taking place mm-hmm. there is is difficult to bear it, it uh, uh, motivates you to do something. Yeah. So this is how we were able to uh, channel our uh, our grief, or mm-hmm. anxiety, or concern. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was a very, very, very good experience, very uh, learning experience. Mm. And since then, uh, the charity has not only helped. I mean, with that experience, using that experience, mm-hmm. it has not only helped. Um, was able to help those victims there, mm-hmm. but then also other victims of other. Uh, catastrophes that took place uh, that have since taken place mm-hmm. so yes yeah. so yeah it's uh, sometimes out of these um, um, these kind of events um, mm. good things do emerge yes um, and as far as uh, we were concerned the fact that he went first was then uh, uh, then allowed well then emerged Mm-hmm. Was uh, one of the uh, one of the I suppose silver linings, mm-hmm. um, and we learned a lot. We were we were yeah. we were very, uh, how can I say, very new to this. Yeah, uh, and uh, so the whole concept of uh, partnerships mm. was something that we had not conceived at that stage, but it's something that developed later yeah. on. 
later on because yeah. having like-minded agencies and uh, uh, is like-minded agencies is um, is is have a has a synergistic effect definitely uh, to yeah. what what we're able to uh, mm-hmm. achieve. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pleased to note, yes, the screen says that uh, Professor Rafael is on the line again. I hope we can uh, do better this time, uh, yes. Professor. Uh, you were uh, responding to this question about um, whether, the, how can we can, how can the lessons from the Holocaust be um, be applied um, to promote more, more tolerance? Um, and um, more understanding in today's world. That's right. And I wanted, initially, we have to agree what are the lessons. And most scholars agree that the Holocaust shows how quickly the moral norms of a modern and well-educated society can actually completely fall apart and how ordinary people can be mobilised to perpetrate evil against unarmed civilians, uh, while most others can be and by and do nothing to stop it. So I think in today's post-710 world of heightened anger and, um, and pain, we, we need two kinds of tolerance. But on the plus side, I think we can have better than just tolerate one another. I'd like us to be more ambitious and aim for some mutual empathy yeah. and extend the bridge-building hand of personal friendship to those who have different ethnic, religious, and political identities. Um, but second, knowing that Holocausts build slowly and don't come from nowhere, I think we also need zero tolerance for ideologies that call, or even just seem to call, for the elimination of mm-hmm. whole peoples and countries. Yeah. And I think if we're serious about promoting tolerance and understanding today, we also need zero tolerance for people who weaponize the Holocaust and who call those they don't approve of Nazis. Hmm. Because I think uh, war zones where there's terrible, terrible suffering, um, they, they shouldn't be described as ghettos and camps. And of course, everyone has the right to protest and loudly, but it's not morally, spiritually, or politically acceptable to use very specific cases of sadistic degradation, mass shooting, and gassing of six million Jews uh, to get a political point across. Mm. So do you think that, I mean, terms like describing people as animals is also also falls into that category in demonizing Absolutely. Mm. Yes, it's dehumanization. You can only, you can only kind of do a Holocaust if you've dehumanized mm. um, its object. That's absolutely right. And do you think that the institutions established to prevent such atrocities taking place, do you think they're working? Um, well, I mean, if, if we think, for example, about um, our technologies and our media institutions and how they're helping to educate people or not, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm doubtful. The Holocaust was the most extensively documented crime the world has ever seen. And yet the generations who've grown up with digital media 
Um, and in fact, with Holocaust education in schools, don't seem to be getting properly educated about the Holocaust or its lessons for history. They seem to be living or wanting to live in online echo chambers that cultivate division and selective outrage. Um, I don't know if you know about a 2020 study in America that showed shocking levels of ignorance about the Holocaust among younger people. Uh, nearly two-thirds of them were unaware that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. And chillingly, nearly a quarter believed that the Holocaust is a myth or has been exaggerated. Mm. And mm. that's 2020. The problem, uh, the figures are probably getting even more dismaying now. So I think that our institutions need to monitor social media sites and usage very carefully so that they don't give a platform to genocide denial or to extremists pro uh, promoting genocidal content. And also, I think even if it's not realistic to expect many young people to read the peer-reviewed scholarship, schools and parents can introduce young people to the work of, say, Yad Vashem, uh, mm. the World Holocaust Remembrance Center or the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, uh, which offer free and acceptable, uh, accessible world-class Holocaust education to anyone visiting their online sites. Mm. Mm. And I think we also need to encourage younger people to use, in addition to their social media, national media institutions, like the BBC, which are at least expected to be unbiased and won't fuel demonization by only telling half the story. Hmm. Um, right. Um, I've got my, my, my colleague with me. Um, he's going to be asking a few questions. I hope that's okay. Yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, peace and blessings um, will be upon you, Professor Rafaela. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really my appreciate pleasure. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, so, um, in your view, what is the significance of commemorating Holocaust Remembrance Day, and how does it contribute to the ongoing dialogue about tolerance? Yeah, I mean that's a very, a very deep question. Mm -hmm. There's, there's only so much that it can do. Um, Holocaust Memorial Day can't provide political solutions to the world's violent conflicts. Um, and however good its educational and preventative programs may be, it can't by itself mm -hmm. ensure that Holocaust uh, that the Holocausts never happen again. Yeah. Uh, this year, 2024, marks the 30th anniversary of the genocide of over a million Tutsis in Rwanda, yeah. and that's 49 years after the Holocaust. Yeah. So, you know, we're all entitled to ask, well, what is the significance? Mm -hmm. But I think what it can do is focus attention on our common humanity yeah. with all the grief and vulnerability, but also faith, hope and love yeah. that all our stories share. So that's its broadly spiritual job. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also, I think for Jews specifically, mm -hmm. there's a moral and political significance to commemorating, commemorating the Holocaust, which is to recognize that never again means never again being left defenseless, yeah. defenseless against those intent on genocide. Never again can there be another mm. October the 7th. Yeah. And, I, and I think I speak for most Jews, never again means the continued existence of a sovereign Jewish state, mm -hmm. but one 
alongside a sovereign Palestinian yes. state where everyone's next generations especially can flourish in safety and peace and mutual respect. Well, very well said. Thank you so much for that. Um, what advice would you give to individuals and communities seeking to actively promote values of empathy, respect and diversity? Okay, well, obviously there are real differences, mm -hmm. difficult texts, difficult, difficult uh, scriptural texts, mm -hmm. difficult players on the world stage on all sides. And so without papering over the differences, I think we need to prioritize really good RE in schools yeah. and give it space on the curriculum. We need good religious leadership that mm -hmm. preaches interreligious values, mm -hmm. um, as I know your radio station does, of compassion yep. and peace. Um, and actually, we also need good historians mm -hmm. to remind us of the uh, forgotten centuries, in our case here today, of, of Jewish and Muslim coexistence, yes. where the exchange of trade and philosophy and spirituality bore yeah. great and very sweet fruit. Yeah. And, and above all, we must make religion part of the solution, not part of the problem. We need to publicize so much better uh, the fantastic initiatives have been to promote empathy and respect. Uh, for example, King Mohammed uh, VI of Morocco has mm -hmm. brought together imams and rabbis for social and theological exchange. Mm -hmm. Or Prince Ghazi bin Mohammed of Jordan, with whom actually I've been very privileged to work on the Oxford University Love in Religions pro project. Yep. He's called for all those who love God and their neighbor to coordinate uh, their, their activities in a more effective way. So um, this, I think, is how you promote the values of empathy, respect, and diversity. Really good conversations that enable us to, you know, remember the past, yeah. not so much to reinforce grievance, yeah. but, but for the sake of a better future. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that's very well said. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, um, I was going to ask, uh, um, do you think that uh, having suffered uh, so uh, miserably through the Holocaust that Jews also feel a greater responsibility of preventing it from happening to others? Yes, I think, I think we need to share and talk about our experience. Um, ab absolutely. And... Um, Yes, I don't think it. Um, we should therefore be expected to be um, victims forever. <laughs> um, we must always be, you know, given the ability to defend ourselves so that it never happens again. But yes, I think I think it does give us um, empathy, and above all, our Torah gives us um, empathy and a thirst for peace and justice throughout the world. Mm. Um, I was uh, listening to Yanis uh, or reading something that Yanis Varoufakis said. He's, he was the former uh, uh, finance minister of Greece. He says that uh, the French government had joined the German government, uh, which states that because Jews have been subjected to genocide, Israel has moral and legal immunity for any war crime, even genocide if it chooses to commit it. Do you agree with that? Um, not immunity, no. No, I, I wouldn't um, 
agree with that, but it does have the right to self-defense, um, mm. particularly when it is faced with the stated um, you know, threat of genocide, a threat that has already been partially mm. carried out on October the 7th. So, um, yes, that doesn't give and Nobody has immunity yeah. um, from the observance of international law. But I think one of the problems is that international law is a very, very complex thing. Mm. Um, and we're all kind of armchair international lawyers. And, uh, and I think we should, we should, in some ways, leave it to the experts. But of right. course, no, no immunity, no. Mm. No, it doesn't give us the right to inflict suffering on anybody else. And I don't think any Jew that I've ever come across believes that it does. Okay. Um, um, do you think that more effort should be uh, made in bringing people together uh, to foster greater understanding? And what kind of things do you think should be enacted that haven't been at the moment? Well, I think that um, we certainly need things like uh, peace marches, genuine mm. peace marches mm. that are, that, and I, and I think that some of those initiatives are already underway or have taken place where people don't carry flags, they don't um, sloganize um, hate, mm. and, and, and they come together to, to pray um, and, and discuss pathways uh, to peace. And um, and actually, I have to say that um, the the marches that and rallies that I've been on um, the, um, for the hostages have, in fact, I think been been models of 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 peace. They've been actually very, um, in some ways, apolitical um, and very much about um, prayer and song and mm. the longing for the hostages. Um, to come home, but with no no threats um, um, uh, or military speak there. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, thanks very much uh, for your contribution, uh, Professor. Um, it's been very illuminating. Uh, thank you for coming on. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Yes, and I'm glad we got, we got our telephone line sorted yes. out. Yes, yes great. we did. Thanks to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks to him. Fine. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a okay. very good day. All right. Bye. Bye. Right. Um, we've uh, still got two and a half minutes to go, um, uh, Brother Delis. Um, what do you want to add? Um, I actually wanted to go back to... Um, the information that you were telling us about um, Bosnia, I, th I think we can, I, I was actually really interested with this because I do remember um, the fourth caliph of, uh, or the fourth successor of the promised Messiah, uh, upon whom be peace. He um, he mentioned, well, he, he, he had a big um, invested interest in, 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 the, in, in the happenings and occurrences of Bosnia, so much so that he had a sitting with the Bosnians who were um, given refuge in the UK. And he showed great love and... Uh, great uh, care and kindness towards them. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you remember that. Is that no, he, he sh yes, he showed great kindness to them. Um, but, uh, you know, the uh, you can speak volumes about uh, the character of uh, the fourth kind of... Mm -hmm. um, I had the opportunity of working uh, under him, obviously, but... Um, closely with him and I think one of the things that um, 
uh, struck uh, us was the generosity. And uh, I remember when um, the um, um, a, a, a group of Bosnians came to see him. He gave uh, them his time and uh, brought them into the office. And um, they were very disheveled, uh, didn't have uh, much in the way of good clothing. And uh, before proceeding much in the conversation that we were having with them, uh, he went upstairs. That's where his uh, 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 what is it? That's where his residence was. And mm-hmm. he he brought all the clothes. Yes, all his clothes. I, I remember this. Yes. I, yeah, I, I I know about this incident, and it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. And he brought all his clothes, and then he couldn't carry them all himself, so he told his son not to bring them. And uh, it seems that he had given every single clo- item of clothing because I remember Imam Sab saying to us later on that he show he found him wearing the same shirt for days on end. Yes. Uh, probably washing it at night, but yeah. wearing it day on end because he'd given everything away. Yeah. So that's the extent of his generosity. We can uh, we talk about this after the of course, news. Of course. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the uh, Voice of Islam, the breakfast show. The time is two and a half past eight, well, approaching three minutes past eight now. Um, we were discussing uh, the... Uh, Holocaust, that was the first topic, Holocaust, understanding historical pain and condemning injustice. Uh, we'll be continuing with that uh, particular topic. Uh, we were speaking to Professor um, uh, Professor Raphael earlier. Uh, we hope to be uh, now talking to Dr. Emiliano Perra, uh, and our uh, engineer is just trying to uh, fix the, uh, the line uh, to uh, Dr. Perra. And we'll be speaking to him shortly. Um, and while we're waiting, no, we don't have to wait any longer because Professor Perra is on the line now. Let me just get my buttons right. Um, uh, good morning, Dr. Uh, Doctor Perra. Um, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yes. Um, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the on the breakfast show. Uh, we are, as you know, discussing uh, the uh, the Holocaust and understanding the historical pain and condemning injustice. Um, how can individuals constitute, contribute to fostering empathy and tolerance in their communities based on the lessons learned from the Holocaust? Sorry, say this again. So, the 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 root um, when we look back at the Holocaust and the and and look at the one of the causes of it is it's because of intolerance in communities uh, now and lack of empathy so how in order to avoid this kind of eventuality again how can we foster greater empathy and tolerance in our communities uh, after, yeah uh, after learning after drawing i mean by drawing lessons from the holocaust yeah, yeah, so it's uh, it, it's the big question. Um, I guess one way to um, answer is I will draw on um, the concept of um, multi-directional memory that was kind of introduced by um, an excellent um, American scholar whose name is Michael Rothberg, and and basically he, he uses this term to kind of propose kind of a model of collective memory that is not competitive. And uh, and it's mutually um, or mutually exclusive, but it's kind of 
productive, constructive, where basically remembering past atrocities and suffering is done in such a way that it opens up the space for remembering the suffering of other groups as well. And I think um, in terms of, um, in, in a sense in Britain, where I'm based, the Orkosemurio Day already does this to an extent. Um, but um, but they could be even more more open. I think you know it's promote foster to to kind of um, empathy and tolerance. I think communities at grassroots level and their organizers, leaders, including religious leaders, play an essential role. Um, I very much believe in the transformative power of empathy and kindness at the individual and local level. And and because I think this is where the change starts. And once it reaches a certain critical mass, then institutions and governments eventually follow. Um, and I think especially in times of divisions and tensions as the ones we are living, uh, being ready to acknowledge and mark the suffering of others is, I think, is an essential defense um, of kind of fundamental values that really should be the the line in the sand that we as a society shouldn't cross. And, uh, and tolerance in times of populism as the ones we are living kind of globally requires a lot of and and so, on, for example, on this day, we 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 commemorate, remember the Holocaust, and we also talk about uh, the suffering of other groups. And and I think in general, in a nutshell, the answer to your question is to build bridges and build alliances that are based on love. Fundamentally, I think that is, and I think at the at the at the, at the level of grassroots level communities, um, in, that's that's where it really happens. Do you think uh, we have got a work cut out? There's a lot to do um, in order to achieve uh, that. There's a, there's a, there's, there is a lot to do, and uh, and it's um, and it's it's kind of work that it never it never it never stops. It never, mm-hmm. it never ends. But I, but I think especially in this these time these days, there's uh, there is even more to do because there's a, there are there's a lot of there are a lot of um, factors that are pushing in the opposite direction, and I think we need to be even more um, resolute in now. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the context of what's going on uh, in recent global events, do you see any parallels or warning signs that uh, that demonstrate the lessons of the Holocaust? Uh, um, this, uh, I would say. <laughs> Yes, there are warning signs there for sure. Um, in a sense, we we um, it's important to study and to commemorate um, events like the Holocaust and genocide more in general for a number of reasons. Two of which are one is obviously to honor the the memory of those who suffered, but the second one is to understand how genocide happened so that we can try and prevent future ones from happening and. Uh, and I think that's where the warning signs are, are relevant. Um, now, the Holocaust is a is a so the, the, the is 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 a, is a specific and very extreme type of uh, historical event. And um, but looking at more recent events, we we have, we we all see. And I was listening to your previous speaker, and and clearly we all think have, have very front of our eyes the images that are coming from a. From Gaza, and 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 I obviously share the the the, the calls for a ceasefire. Today, we expect uh, the ruling, the primary ruling from the International Court of Justice, and uh, 
um, we'll see what their, uh, um, the, the ruling will be. But um, I think there's a warning signs. Yeah, I, I, I very much um, think we that alongside the death and suffering, I personally find that the, the dehumanizing language that is coming from frankly important sectors of the Israeli establishment, uh, I find it extremely concerning, and uh, and 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 it is a is a it is a red flag. Hamas um, are no better, um, of course, um, mm. but um, in a sense, I, I kind of expect less from a from a group that is officially designated as a terrorist organization, and and so I and this is part of what makes talking about uh, the situation in Gaza very very difficult. Is to, um, um, it's it's um, yeah, but there's a, there's there's mm. there is this kind of language and 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 practice also that is that is extremely concerning. Um, in, in 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 any case, Gaza is unfortunately not even the only conflict area where we see mm. warning signs. Um, because Darfur, Ethiopia, Myanmar, the, the part of the conflict in Ukraine, Nagorno-Karabakh, there's there's ethnic cleansing and cultural genocide ongoing ongoing now. These are all. Mm and should have the attention of the world. And I think, in a sense, but I kind of I started with the concept of multi-directional memories. Maybe like it, that take the opportunity of we commemorate the, the Holocaust and and take the opportunity to talk about at least mention these other um, mm. practices that are ongoing. Yeah. Do you think that these kind of uh, commemorations are futile if we continue to make the same mistakes? Uh, they're not futile because if we were to if we were to decide that they're futile and give up, then um, in a sense, there's uh, the, the um, an American scholar whose name is Gregory Stanton came up with our, uh, ten stages of genocide, and the last one is denial, which is basically forgetting it. Mm. So if we were to think in terms of like, oh, it's futile because it's we don't learn the lessons, we would make it easier for you know. We will basically do the job of the perpetrators in the in the final stage of genocide. We will even won't even remember it any longer, and I don't think we obviously we 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 will want that. It's 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 not futile, but remembering and commemorating alone does not suffice. It requires there's a lot more work that needs to happen. And again, I get back to the point of community grassroots um, mm. and uh, interreligious dialogue. There's there's um, all this other work that is kind of done daily that is um, essential. Um, so commemorating and and even learning about past um, genocides is alone does not suffice. Um, mm. Yes. Okay. Um, um, my colleague has some questions as well. I hope you'll be able to answer. You won't mind answering them as well. Okay. Uh, peace. Uh, peace be upon you. Uh, uh, Dr. Pera, um, really appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, are there any specific initiatives or programs you recommend for promoting global awareness and understanding of historical events like the Holocaust? Yeah, good question. Um, in general terms, I would. I'm, I'm, I'm a European. I'm Italian, mm-hmm. so I speak as a as a as a, as a European who is implicated in the history of Europe. That is. Um, uh, and there's a lot to, of reckoning to do when, in, in the, in, with, when coming to terms with the kind of history of Europe. Um, so I, I think 
terms of initiatives, I tend to support everything that, in a sense, champions dialogue and exchange. Mm-hmm. In particular, we reference to what can be defined as kind of ruptures in modernity, like the Holocaust, colonialism, slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's urgent that we reconsider the kind of historical racialization in Western modernity and how that impacts on our present. Of course, I think that that is uh, an urgent area where we really there is a lot of work to do in the global north, mm-hmm. so Europe and can be beyond, but especially in the global north. Mm-hmm. So there's a, I, I, there's a lot of great work that is being done, especially in the global south on this, mm-hmm. uh, but also grassroots level and among some academics uh, in the global north as well. Uh, but there's also a lot of institutional um, resistance. So mm-hmm. fundamentally, I think that we, uh, in terms of initiatives, um, the ones that really um, situate, for example, the Holocaust within uh, a history of of racialization, and now that is really an area where we haven't really um, come to terms with the, the, the implications of it, because I see that as very urgent and affecting us, yeah. our perspectives in the present, and if we're not careful in the in the near future as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, finally, what steps can governments take to ensure the protection of human rights and prevent the rise of ideologies that can lead to mass atrocities? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I get back to the against the concept of multidirectional. Um, because I because we think in terms those terms to develop empathy for the suffering of others and, and emphasize commonalities. Um, and I think this means going, in a sense, going beyond um, identity politics and perhaps move away from uh, kind of narrow identity politics. Um, but I think that governments, so that's one. But I think another thing that governments should really try to do is to try and reduce socioeconomic inequalities in our mm-hmm. society. Because obviously the, we, we all know that the years since the financial crisis 2008 have seen a steady worsening from that point of view. Yeah. And um, obviously, uh, historians, we, we, we tend to, we don't think that history repeats itself, but sometimes it rhymes. And um, in a sense, our, our present rhymes with the thir- 1930s, and that's really not a pleasant sound. Um, so high unemployment, working poor, uh, the fact that states show no urgency to ameliorate this situation. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is all a breeding ground for ideologies and movements that really thrive on finding of scapegoat, scapegoating others, blaming the weakest members of society, finding mm-hmm. enemies to blame. And in the 1930s, the Jews bore the brunt of that, um, with, and, and this is, you know, we are commemorating the consequences of that. Today, migrants and racialized minorities, people with disability, poor, and so on, mm. um, are kind of the, 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 the target of scapegoating. And in and, and a sense, the final, the the, the the, I guess the essential point is that we, the societies we need to understand that the, the 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 steps from blaming others to see their presence as a threat, then see their existence as a threat, mm-hmm. um, are the, the biggest steps are the early ones. Yeah. And once societies go on that slippery slope, then you know we, we you don't know what the it, the, the jumps are that, not as big as they might think at first. They might appear. So I think we need to be very. I find, for example, the 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 the, the rhetoric around migrants, asylum seekers, and the fact that mm-hmm. as a continent in Europe, 
there seems to be no urgency to try and reduce the number of people who die at sea. And the way that has been normalized, and um, I think there's a, there's a rhetoric around the suffering of others that really goes exactly in the opposite direction to what we are trying to do today, even today with this, yeah. with this conversation. So I yeah. really think, it, um, I, I really feel it as a Holocaust Memorial Day is it's a good opportunity to commemorate the Holocaust yeah. and and, uh, and 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 also yeah, take stock of what we are doing and where we are going as societies and mm-hmm. do our bit. Uh, yes, but, uh, Dr. Parra, uh, one of the, um, uh, I suppose, uh, the consequences of having uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day is, has been, I would say, to establish institutions that can monitor and perhaps prevent um, such and make um, those nations accountable who are committing uh, genocide. Do you think that they, they, they have any impact? I mean, specifically, I'm particularly talking about the international um, uh, Court of Justice that is going to be passing a ruling today. Do you think that's going to have any any impact on on the actors that are involved? I think today's judgment, in a sense, it's already historical what we are seeing because it's uh, frankly unprecedented that um, a, a state is being. Um, you know, since there's there's a there's a there's a there's a ruling from a court on on the actions of a state while while events are happening, so I do think that this this I agree with um, kind of um, Israeli scholar um, Russ, Russ Siegel, who's um, also thinks that this is historical. We don't know exactly, obviously, what, what will happen. But, um, the, the hope is that this will act as a deterrent. So mm-hmm. today's ruling, I. Obviously, we don't know what, what, what it would be, but it's perhaps um, to be expected that there will be um, um, condemnation. We will see. We'll see what, what, what the ruling will be. But if, um, but, but you're saying it will have an impact. I mean, that's that's what I was really trying to drive I think at. It will. That these I kind think of institutions will. do ha- will have do have an impact. They can have it, a positive. I think they can have an impact because I, I would imagine that if the, if the ruling were that yes, there is. Um, uh, evidence that um, some perhaps acts of genocide have been, have, have, have been carried mm. out. There's, there's also an element of the international community and that um, I think this will have repercussions not just um, perhaps on, on uh, the way the Israeli government think about what they're doing but also on the, in, in the other countries and how they and institutions. So there's I think that um that this can have can be um, having this type of ruling while events are happening, not just years later, um, can have an impact, and I re- and I hope it does, mm. um, because uh, that's one of the functions of the of this kind of international law mm. system that has been put in place since you know after the Second World War. Yeah. And so, so they haven't they haven't been established in vain. They they, they can have a positive effect. I think they can, and they yes, and I, and 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 I, and I very much think that we should. Um, we, I support that. Is, okay. um, well, no, thanks, uh, thanks very much, uh, uh, Dr. Perra. Uh, it was very, very interesting talking to you, uh, and thanks for your contribution. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Right. So that was uh, Dr. Emiliano uh, Perra.
He's a lecturer in modern European history at the University of Winchester. We also spoke to David Tolleton. Now, David is an associate professor in memory studies at the University of Exeter, and this is what he said when we spoke to him earlier. Uh, apologies if you hear the introduction to Mr. Tolleton again, but uh, here is the clip. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station David Tolleton, who is an associate professor in memory studies at the University of Exeter. And you're also a president of the British and Irish Association for the Holocaust Studios. Good morning and thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Good morning. Thank you. Oh, so very uh, important topic that we are discussing. And firstly, we wanted to ask you that what role do you believe education plays in preventing the recurrence of the atrocities like the Holocaust? So I think that um, education is obviously vitally important. Um, You need a society that is aware of its own worst potentials. Um, And by that, I mean that we don't just talk about the positives in history, that we're also aware of the worst things that can happen, the, the kind of the, the, the greatest atrocities that can happen against minorities. Um, but education about the past isn't everything. Um, I think you also have to think about present. Um, so by that, I mean you have to uh, think about memory of the Holocaust in relation to, say, the current mistreatment of minorities or um, economic instability and unfairness, because uh, that's uh, was a major part in the kind of the rise of the Nazis and the rise of kind of anti-Jewish sentiment in the 1930s, and also the um, the the rise and the growth of conspiracy theories. So education is vitally important, but I think uh, prevention of uh, recurring atrocities, like you mentioned, requires more as well. It, it it means thinking about various things that are going on across society. Absolutely. And and how can we ensure that future generations learn about the Holocaust and understand its applications for human rights and tolerance? So um, in terms of future generations learning about the Holocaust um, and implications, I mean, obviously, education about the history of the Holocaust and other genocides um, is vitally important. the Holocaust Educational Trust and also Holocaust Memorial Day um, do a lot in that regard. And it's and it's worth mentioning Holocaust Memorial Day um, doesn't just cover um, the genocide against Jews um, under the Nazis in the in the 1930s, 1940s, but also um, other subsequent genocides as well. Um, and in terms of education in schools, there is a lot. There's a lot that goes on in comparison to just a few decades ago. Um, So nearly every school in the UK has some element of Holocaust education within it. Um, But in terms of its its implications, in terms of uh, implications for human rights and tolerance, we do need to think about its meaning for the present. It's not just about thinking about history. Um, And that's inevitably a debate. working out what the meaning of the Holocaust and um, meaning of the Holocaust is for today takes um, a bit of negotiation. Thank you for that. And um, in your opinion, what are the most crucial lessons that individuals and societies should draw from the Holocaust experience? Um, yeah, thank you. That's a, I mean, it's a really important question. Um, 
I think the way I would um, pose, way I would sort of frame that is almost in terms of there's, there's kind of two ways of thinking about uh, lessons from the Holocaust. Um, you can think about it in terms of lessons uh, in relation to Jewish communities, and then also in relation to wider society. So, um, in terms of Jewish communities, Jewish communities have faced uh, hostility and violence in Europe certainly since uh, medieval times, so you know, going back a, basically a thousand years. Um, I mean, it's worth remembering in the UK that um, there was considerable anti-Jewish violence in England uh, in, the medieval, in medieval times. And in fact, um, in the 13th century, uh, Jewish communities were kind of entirely violently expelled from the country um, for several centuries, so there's kind of there's a long history of anti-Jewish sentiment, even in the UK, but all across Europe, and the Holocaust is the culmination of this, um, and a kind of a warning of where anti-Jewish uh, sentiment can potentially lead. But in terms of um, wider society, um, the crucial les lesson is about what can happen when you start to fixate on who you think belongs and who doesn't um, because that's a that's a vital part in what's uh was happening with the holocaust and indeed um pretty much every genocide is it's really a situation in which the majority uh so those in power start saying we belong and you don't um and the holocaust highlights the incredibly dark places that that can go to where if you just are extremely intolerant of minorities if you simply say that um, unless you are absolutely like us then we will not tolerate you. Um, the Holocaust kind of really highlights how how far that can go even in a kind of um, uh, a modern European country that kind of considers itself very civilized. Thanks so much for that Professor Dana. Just one last question before we do let you go is that how can we combat prejudice and discrimination in today's world drawing from the lessons of history? Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's a, it's a question which uh, the organization I'm involved with, so the, the British and Irish Association for Holocaust Studies, it's something that we, we really grapple with. Um, I mean, in terms of drawing lessons from history, uh, I mean, it's hard. Uh, history doesn't just sit there being meaningful. Um, you know, it's always the case that we have to, to negotiate its meaning. And be honest about the fact that it's a debate and sometimes quite a heated debate. Um, and some lessons that people try to draw from history are more credible than others. It's, all, it, it's always going to be a kind of slightly messy debate. Um, one thing, though, is education. Um, as you flagged up earlier, uh, making sure that people know the actual history of the Holocaust. Um, the, the Holocaust is so well known in uh in our culture as a kind of just a kind of a, a broad in broad brushes terms um people know about it as a genocide know about it as this kind of appalling crime but i think understanding the actual history um and not just what happened in the end in terms of mass killings but the history that leads up to that point is really important so so education is vital but also um I think being vigilant about combating conspiracy theories. Um, 
we are in a society at the moment, particularly with the internet, where conspiracy theories can really take hold very rapidly. But um, it's not a completely new thing. Um, a lot of went, what went on within the 1930s and under Nazism was about creating conspiracy theories about uh, the threats which were people perceived to be kind of against them. Um, I think it's also about being committed to preserving diversity in society. Um, sometimes we can kind of say that in a way that almost becomes a bit superficial, but um, genuinely, uh, genocides happen when those in power cannot tolerate diversity. So fighting to preserve diversity in society, I think, is vitally important. And also um, preserving civic structures, so the rule of law, so courts, um, democracy. Uh, under Nazism in the 1930s, those things were massively eroded. Um, and so that there just weren't really safeguards against um, government extremism. And so I think, you know, fighting to preserve those kinds of civic structures is really is really vitally important. So it, it's a mixture of all sorts of things. Um, and Holocaust Memorial Day is a day to, um, to, to think through um, and reflect on those big challenges. Great. Thank you so much, uh, David Tonderton, Associate Professor in Memory Studies at the University of Exeter. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your uh, expertise on this subject. That's great. Thank you very much. Right. right. So, as mentioned, that was uh, um, Imam Taqir speaking to David Tonderton on this particular subject. And it does bring us to uh, a close of that particular item and uh, we can move on to the second of our main topics and it's about understanding the impact of your carbon footprint uh, and in case you don't know what uh, a carbon footprint is well it's to do with the carbon emissions uh, that result from our actions and in the UK uh, we're told around 22% of our carbon emissions come from our homes, including uh, heating, lighting, and appliances. The way we travel from driving uh, to work or the shops to jet setting around the globe on holiday comes close behind heating for the volume of carbon emissions produced. Um, we can reduce our carbon emissions by improving our homes, uh, choosing low-carbon travel options and making small behavioural changes, all while having a positive impact on addressing the climate emergency. Um, have any thoughts on that, um, Brother Jalees? Um, I think... Uh I think uh, I believe that... Um What's why I did yesterday was I wanted to know what my carbon footprint was. Um, it was very poor. I'll, I'll say this much, uh, because as you mentioned, uh, carbon footprint is defined by the amount of greenhouse gases emitted into the atmosphere and how much we are a part of it. So, for example, if I am driving to work every single day on by car, not public transport, by car, then that's going to increase my carbon footprint. 
Um, if I am buying clothes um, exported from abroad, then that's going to also increase my carbon footprint. If I am, as you say, jet-setting, if I'm going travelling around the world, then that's also going to increase my carbon footprint. So there's, a, there's, there's an array of things that can increase the carbon footprint or your individual carbon footprint, mm-hmm. um, whether it be um, personal actions such as transportation, household activities, clothing and food. Food as well. Um, if you are... Um, Obviously, uh, buying food that's exported and not just locally sourced food, that will also increase your carbon footprint. Um, so this is this is this is, this is something that we that, that we look towards and mm. we, we try our best to reduce it. Mm. Um, one of the ways that we we see that how we can reduce our carbon footprint is going towards locally sourced food, um, going towards uh, public transport instead of always taking the car, going on bikes, mm. um, walking to work. Uh, these, these are all the things that we can try to yeah. uh, decrease our carbon footprint. Well, uh, we have on the line somebody who's uh, uh, helping to reduce our carbon f- footprint uh, and also helping others uh, do the same. It's uh, Mr. Akram Amdi, who's the chairman of the International uh, Association of Architects and uh, Engineers uh, of the Amdi Muslim Association. Uh, uh, Mr. Akram Amdi, thank you very much for joining us on the, on the breakfast show. Yeah, my pleasure. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum uh, Can you tell us, uh, listeners, about the IEEE uh, and what what do you do? How are you uh, becoming relevant in this uh, carbon footprint business? Well, uh, you know, IEEE has been uh, set up uh, by the third caliph, Mr. Nasser Ahmed, in the 70s. So we've been uh, in the game for some time. Mm. And... Uh, uh, since then, uh, uh, with the present Khilafat, as it means, Muslim Muhammad, uh, we have, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, been promoted, or if I can use that word, uh, to carry out humanitarian works uh, mm-hmm. for the world. And uh, alhamdulillah, all of our works are based on carbon footprints, keeping that in mind. And the work we do, especially, say, for example, the use of solar solar systems. Now, the solar systems we have now adopted, uh, not only for bringing electricity to remote locations in Africa, but also, if you remember, you know, you may have seen photos of, uh, in villages, the hand pump, where, you know, women in particular have been using their uh, muscle power to get water out of the ground. Mm. Now, we have changed that in that that is done by solar energy. So that, and, and, and you know, the great part of this is that uh, the, uh, there is no, uh, uh, none of this requires any increase in the carbon f- footprint. Uh, for example, you can imagine in very remote locations, we now carry out water uh, uh, to get water out of the ground using solar systems. And uh, uh, that requires uh, uh, no extra, uh, uh, what should I say, carbon footprint. In fact, uh, even the hand pump uh, required some sort of uh, increase in use of diesel fuel because, you know, uh, 
to to uh, to use diesel to get water out of the ground uh, can be uh, can be have a has a high footprint of carbon. Hmm. But uh, now that we use solar systems, Alhamdulillah, you know we have reduced that completely, and uh, not only that, but you know. IEEE also has been installing uh, electrical systems in many mosques. And, you know, through that, we bring the MTA and other uh, systems on board. And it doesn't use any footprint at all. There's, there is no, no use of uh, diesel fuel or anything like that to carry out these works. Mm. So I think uh, it's very clean energy we are giving to the people. And uh, I think you can understand now that perhaps this can really benefit the people as well mm. without increasing the footprint. Well, certainly. I've got in my notes uh, this uh, alternative energy committees phrase. Sorry? Alternative energy committee. What exactly is alternative energy yes. committee? When was it That's right. was, yeah, was you it know, uh, 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 people have been using, before the coming up of the solar system, uh, people use uh, uh, normal electricity, like we do in our places here in, in Europe and America, uh, using electricity. And so the solar system is the alternative uh, system to, to that one. And it is, uh, there is no uh, uh, carbon footprint for that. Mm-hmm. You see that? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that is what we essentially use is uh, solar systems. And also to uh, get solar systems, uh, you know, uh, we get them mostly from, from China and now also in Europe, very... Uh, what should I say, very efficient systems have been developed here as well uh, in Europe and in America and they are the prices have come down dramatically mm. so that, right. uh, you know, we don't have to ship them all the way from China, uh, which again, you know, you're talking about the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they are very competitive right. nowadays. And so we use what is best available for for the people in Africa. Right. Um, Imam Jalis is with me. He's got a few questions as well. Yeah, um, sure. Peace and blessings uh, will be upon you, um, uh, Brother Akram Ahmadi Sahib. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming in. Um, no, so my pleasure. I, I see that IEEE are doing very well, um, by the grace of Allah, helping the world overall trying to reduce the carbon footprint and all the things you've told us today um, how does the use of solar and wind energy help deprived areas sorry uh, how how does the use of solar and wind energy help deprived areas well you know uh, the uh, uh, w- when we first started this work uh, and let us say we were looking at providing electricity. Now, you know, electricity is essential in the mm. modern world today. Mm. And it is essential for the villages as well. Mm. 
and initially, when the use of solar systems was not available, you know, people uh, to set up the systems like we set up uh, uh, electrical systems and uh, radio and uh, MTA. And how was it powered? It had to be powered uh, by using diesel fuel mm. for uh, um, for for the generators. Now, Alhamdulillah, with solar energy, we don't have to do that. Now you can imagine, to, if you have to bring diesel fuel from the town mm. to the village, you know, that in itself increases the uh, carbon base, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, imagine you have to go to the main town to get uh, your fuel and then uh, use that one to power your systems. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we couldn't even think of uh, changing from a hand pump mm -hmm. to a solar, uh, to, to an electrical pump. Yeah. Because this would obviously increase the footprint very dramatically. Mm -hmm. But now, with solar energy, we don't worry about that because solar energy doesn't need anything to be brought in uh, at an expensive uh, yeah. fossil fuel yeah no, that, 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 that's amazing um, by the grace of Allah I see that IEEE and uh, the AEC are doing tremendous work a lot of work to make sure that all, a lot of our uh, establishments and our, all of our systems work carbon zero um, yeah my final question would be, um, as as uh, the fifth caliph, the fifth successor of the Prophet's Messiah, upon whom be peace, um, he is very integral in uh, advising and helping different establishments and different areas of our community. What expectations and what objectives has uh, the fifth caliph, um, or what does he expect of IEEE and the AEC for the future? Well, you know, in fact, uh, uh, what I must say is that... Uh, you know, whenever we carry out any work, it is with the blessing of the fifth caliph, mm -hmm. you know, and he guides us. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that, uh, uh, you know, uh, how Allah guides him to tell us how to do what, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it is his uh, uh, vision mm -hmm. which we are promoting here. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, we have set up about over 600 uh, systems mm -hmm. uh, using uh, solar energy mm -hmm. for the AEC. Yeah. Right? Now, you imagine uh, 600 systems, and this is over about 10, 15 countries, African countries. Wow, now, can you imagine that if, you know, and, and you know, once you set it up, that's not the end of the story. That's the mm. beginning of the story. Because what happens after a time, they break down. Yeah. You know, just like all mechanical things do break down. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then how do you resolve it? Mm -hmm. You have to send someone from the town, comes up in a, maybe in a scooter or some sort of motorcycle. Yeah. And he needs fuel, carbon fuel. Mm -hmm. But now, we don't have to worry that because what we have done, what IEEE has done, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me, what we have done is ensured that when we go and set up the system, mm -hmm. we always have a local 
local guy mm-hmm. who who knows how it is set up mm-hmm. so that you know he doesn't have to go all the way into town to mm-hmm. to get any stuff mm-hmm. so he he stays in the village and then he helps us uh, uh you know to uh, to to repair the problem uh, and so all of this helps reduce the carbon footprint mm-hmm. and so imagine 600 villages mm-hmm. right it's yeah. a huge number yeah. and uh, and we every year we do about uh, about uh, 50 or 60 systems mm-hmm. so it's constantly increasing as well Oh, that's, that's amazing. Oh, honestly, this is this is amazing work from IEEE and your yourself as well. Um, I believe uh, respected brother Valid has uh, something else to say. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to ask. You know, you these communities that you serve are in the developing world, the poor and rural. But uh, I enjoyed your story about the way that they sometimes receive you and provide your accommodation for you, and the all-star hotels. Can you tell us that story? So, sorry, can you um, you were cut off for some reason? Well, can you repeat that question? I, I was going to ask you about the way that you're sometimes received in these communities that are very poor. They're in the developing world, they're in the rural rural communities, but they receive you uh, with uh, all the all the efforts they they can and everything that they can provide. And they also you also had an experience of uh, staying at an all star hotel. <laughs> so tell us that story. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, Alhamdulillah, our uh, our members in the in the villages are very considerate and very hospitable. And so, you know, uh, one of the Muslims, uh, uh, sort of one of the missionaries, said to me, "When you come to a place called Dori, this is in Burkina Faso," and he said. you know we will give you the best hotel possible and it's not four or five star it's mm-hmm. a multi star hotel mm-hmm. so i was very intrigued and i said oh i i look forward to this one you know mm-hmm. so when we went there uh, of course uh, the, it's very basic it was very basic uh, but the hospitality was always there and uh, uh, I found they gave me a room in, in the in the mission, and I said, and it, it was too hot, you know. You know, I don't know whether anyone knows, you know, Burkina Faso can be very hot in the summer. You know, temperatures are over forty degrees, mm. and I couldn't sleep in, mm. in that uh, temperature. So I I told uh, I I asked uh, that, and I saw on the same at the same time. people sleeping out in the open hmm. and i told the missionary i said why don't you let me sleep there as well i'd be quite comfortable there i think i'd be more comfortable sleeping out in the open hmm. he said yes and and i think it was all a deliberate plan of his so when he got me the bedding out in the open and he said now look up uh, look towards the, towards the heaven hmm. and you'll find multi stars <laughs> <laughs> right and and it was so nicely done yeah. <laughs> and i really had a very beautiful night there mm-hmm. sleeping out in the open in the multi star uh, hotel hmm. sorry in the multi star hotel yes that's right multi star <laughs> hotel mm-hmm. and and you know what i i actually 
I wanted to sit there and sleep there as well because uh, in some places, like in Dori, the water wells, you know, are all also uh, uh, there. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, I, I wanted to see, he had told me that because there are so many people who want water, we have got a rota system. Hmm. And some families come out here during the night to, to fetch the water. Hmm. And so, and I wanted to see that. Right. So, you know, at about 2, 3 in the morning, uh, I went to the well, and indeed, I saw people pumping water out mm -hmm. uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, uh, it, it assured me that what he was telling was the truth, and mm -hmm. also that this is how dire the situation is, mm -hmm. that uh, people have to come here during the middle of the night. Yeah. To get the water. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but as I said, uh, there was a, uh, an excellent uh, provision for that, and the multi-star hotel was excellent for that. Okay. Very, very good. Yeah, very nice story. Thank you very much for uh, repeating that again. Um, yes. Uh, right. Uh, and thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we have to come to a close now, and. Uh, uh, thank you much for your contribution, Akramandisal. I wish you all the best. All right. Jazakallah. Please pray for our members. You know, our members uh, go there and uh, you've seen mm. how, how I slept. Yeah. And when, when our members go, it's the same for them as well. Mm. They sleep in very, very difficult conditions. You know, mm -hmm. the, the sub-Sahara Africa mm. can yeah. be very hot. Right. And yet, our members, and unfortunately, you know, they go, go out when the holiday period is on and for them, you know, and that's when they take their leave. Yeah. From, and they're all volunteers mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, they try to use their holidays uh, for, yeah. for this work. Mm -hmm. And December, for example, is a good time for them. It's Christmas time and there are days of holidays mm -hmm. and they go out at that time. Yeah. But of course, as I said, uh, it's also one of the hottest times. Yeah. Uh, in sub-Sahara Africa. Yeah. Uh, Allah bless them and uh, we congratulate them and we pray for them mm -hmm. uh, for the uh, yeah, excellent yeah. contribution. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you much for coming on. Salaam Right. Okay. Right. Uh, so that was uh, Mr. Akraman, the, the uh, chairman of the IEEE. Yeah. Um, any last word then? Anything you want to get off your chest then, uh, Imam Dalis? I would, hmm? I would first of all like to mention that amazing work by IEEE. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, going yep. carbon zero for many things. And yep. uh, yeah, I just uh, really enjoyed this story about the multi-star yep. hotel. Yeah, um, I, I, I get the feeling you've heard this before. I've heard this before. In fact, this was actually also in one of the events that uh, were held um, the annual uh, IAAAE conferences. Mm -hmm. um, it was in the presence of His Holiness. Yeah. He related that story then. Uh, and it was, <laughs> yes, it sounded as good as it, uh, it was then. Yeah, so it was very, very <laughs> so, good. Yeah, it was very yeah. good. And uh, I did, as, as, as uh, respected Akram MD yeah. uh, mentioned at the end, that uh, the IAAAE establishment is based upon uh, volunteers. And that's amazing. The people take out their time for the advancement of um, our community. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And something that he really mentioned, um, something that he mentioned that he went to Burkina Faso. 
um, it really made me think that the promised Messiah, that the the, the promised Messiah that was prophesied by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has truly come. He has gathered every single individual across the world, um, and um, that, that that was the purpose of the promised Messiah to establish this union between God Almighty mm. and the people mm. and uh, of, of of mankind. And mm. we see that the, the, the prophecy that he was, uh, the, the promise that he was bestowed. Yeah, mm. I shall cause thy message to spread across the corners of the earth. Mm. And this yeah. is exactly what's happening. Even in Burkina Faso, we have such sincere and uh, amazing individuals mm. that they take such care of us when we go there, even though they have very little. But they do, but they do their best. This is the love that they have for their fellow brothers mm. in, in arms and community. And this is all under, under one banner. Um, yes, no, absolutely, and uh, it's uh, good to see, uh, like you mentioned, the volunteers, the people who have full-time work, yeah. uh, devoting uh, some of their spare time mm-hmm. for this, uh, and it's just one of the many activities that members of the community can engage in, absolutely, uh, purposefully, positively, yeah. uh, to help others, and. Um, uh, it is one of the reasons, um, one of the people that you're looking after, you're looking after those people uh, who are uh, new yeah. uh, uh, members of the community. Yeah. And one particular individual wanted to join the community because of mm. the attraction of the various kinds of activities yeah. you can engage in through Absolutely. membership Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, in serving others and that's what it was his, uh, his attraction Definitely. Uh, and, the f- and the fact that there was this camaraderie yeah. uh, that existed um, in working for something that was positive positive yeah. for others positive for the world Definitely. so um, it's uh, an example of that what the volunteers at uh, IAAE are able to do yeah and having said that, uh, unless there is something else you want to get off your chest, then um, Imam Jalis, I don't want complaints later on. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're mm? not going to get any complaints from me. Oh, uh, good. No, no complaints you're from me. You're very tolerant. <laughs> we have been to- talking about tolerance, tolerance. and empathy. Absolutely. Yes. I okay. to, yeah, absolutely. We need to learn. No, I, 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 think, I think I'm all good if, if you want to mention anything. Um, no. Um, I just I want to um, bring this to a close if you don't have anything else to add. I'm all good from my side. Okay. So uh, you're not going to be uh, watching Arsenal uh, this weekend. Well, you don't I, know if they're playing. I think uh, I, th- I, I don't even think Arsenal are playing this week, as far well, as I'm aware. If they are, okay. then uh, I, sh- I shall definitely be keeping up with the score. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, they're, they're sitting pretty after that final. Win yeah, they are. There's yeah, a yeah. confidence booster right there. Yeah. We needed that one. So mm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's, uh, let's see how. That develops. Definitely. Uh, uh, Novak Djokovic uh, is, mm. has lost. I, if you're following tennis, I, I don't you do sometimes. I, I sometimes Wimbledon mm. is something that I, I really, I'm really mm. fond of. But the the rest of the Australian Open yes, and everything, I'm, I'm, I'm not he's too. Out of the Australian Open, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, which I think is is uh, a bit of a news because I think he hasn't lost there for several years. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's the. Only other story that we have. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing else, then I think we can bring this to a close. It I means that we need to right. thank those people who have uh, contributed to the production and the running of the show. So uh, the producer, Malia Abdullah, is uh, deserving of her thanks, as is uh, Faria Sohail Suri. Now, she is the trainee producer uh, and uh, uh, the lead producer, uh, we also have to mention, uh, that's Nagis Nasser, Malia Abdullah is the acting lead producer. Thank you to them. 
the researchers uh, who conducted uh, and uh, I'm sure helped in the seeking of our contributors. Uh, Maharuchala Ahmed and uh, Neha Latif, Samin, Samreen Nasser. Uh, so they are worthy of our gratitude. And then uh, we mustn't forget Amagan, who made sure that everything technically went well, sorted out the problem that we had uh, with Professor Rafael as well. So thank you to him. And then uh, let's also mention those people who did uh, come on to the show, either uh, before uh, the running of the show or during it. Uh, Professor Melissa Rafael was with us. Uh, so was Dr. Emiliano Pera. Doctor uh, Professor David Tolleton spoke to us earlier, and they all uh, uh, gave us their views on the Holocaust and understanding historical pain and condemning injustice. That was the title of our first main topic. The second of our main topic was to do with um, the, uh, the carbon footprint, and that uh, we were able to discuss more uh, on that with uh, uh, Brother Akram Ahmadi who uh, is the chairman of International uh, International Ahmadi Association or International Association of Ahmadi Architects and Engineers doing sterling work in developing countries uh, and also doing work which not only brings uh, relief uh, to uh, the people of those nations but does it in a way where carbon emissions are kept ab- absolutely to the minimum or non-existent uh, in altogether, so thank you to uh, to Mr. Akram Ahmadi for joining us, and thank you to all our listeners also for staying the course during this uh, running of this uh, broadcast. Do join us again on the breakfast show from seven to nine uh, every morning, Monday to Friday. Until then, it's salam alaikum for myself and it's salam alaikum from uh, Imam Jalis Khan.